There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever listened to one of our episodes and thought, shit, I wish I could be a weed nun or a professional mermaid or a dinosaur erotica writer? Well, let me tell you, you're not alone, but I get it. Making that jump from a 9-to-5 job to something like a professional bug wrangler can be a bit scary. Terrifying, even. Well, HubSpot Academy not only makes it easier for you to make that jump, it helps you be successful in whatever career you choose. And they're not paying me to tell you about their entire courses and shorter individual lessons. HubSpot Academy offers everything, like blogging, user experience, inbound marketing and sales, and even Facebook marketing the right way. And it's all free. Free lessons in making whatever passion you have a reality. Get your free training at HubSpot.com weird. That's HubSpot.com weird. All right, you bunch of weirdos, let's get to the show. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. Peter, PPD Dager, is one of the winningest professional gamers in history. And I'm not just talking about trophies. Peter's amassed millions and millions of dollars during his time as a professional gamer. That's right, Mom. All those hours playing N64 in the living room could have brought more than just endless fights between my brothers and I. Peter's story is a pretty unique one. After three years of lucrative competitive play, Peter did the unthinkable. He hung up the controller and became the CEO of his team, Evil Geniuses. Peter tells us about that decision, how professional gaming works, and why he ultimately chose to step down from being a CEO after one year and return to competitive play with his new team, Optic Gaming. I'm your host, Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. You... Uh, you know, you're having like log day, you've been playing games for a while, you come back home and you just want to play a game to relax. Like what is your favorite game to just play and relax? Favorite game of all time? Wow. Favorite game of all time. Something to play to relax. Honestly, I think I, I think I take it all the way back to like Sims, you know, maybe <laughs> like the most current iteration of whatever Sims is out. I, you know, I'll go, I'll, hop on to, you know, Origin or whatever their platform is, and I'll drop, you know, 20 bucks on the latest Sims and play that game for, you know, two days, and then I'll, I won't touch it for a year, right? <laughs> it's my, my go-to comfort game. I would sure. have never picked you, pegged you as, like, playing The Sims. Well, I, I stream as well, and, you know, my viewers as well, they, they, they say the same things. They're just like, Peter plays The Sims? I thought this game was for, I thought this game was for girls. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. What what games did you grow up playing? Way back when there was a you know a young or an early <laughs> Christmas morning where my father purchased us a Nintendo sixty four. 
No, we started, I started on like Mario Karts and, you know, Star Foxes and N64 is really where I got into it all of it. But then I grew up playing, you know, any kind of games that I could make competitive, whether it was a lot of RTS games, Age of Empires, Starcraft, uh, Warcraft. Um, I also grew up on Call of Duty, you know, being in America, a pretty <laughs> popular game. Everybody gets a little, a little into Call of Duty at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> any like RTS genre kind of a thing, that third person top down perspective. Yeah, like, did you play any, like, Diablo or any of those kind of, like, longer role-play games? Or um, My dad didn't like the CD case for Diablo 2, <laughs> so I was not allowed to play that. Um, so I, I stayed away from that one. <laughs> uh, and so you're, it seems like you just have a pretty healthy appetite for gaming in general. Like, It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, you know, being a professional gamer, like, being so, like, I have to spend, you know, 95% or you know 99% of my time playing the, just the one game you know for the last you know however many years it's been but you know when I took a break for a year and I didn't play competitively I got to try a bunch of different games and you know every single genre has amazing games right like people are saying oh this is my favorite game of all time I'm like this is your favorite game out of the you know however many hundreds of thousands of games there are I was like I gotta give it a try so <laughs> so Take me back. Like, how did you hear about professional gaming? Well, yeah, I saw it through StarCraft, right? StarCraft was kind of the big first eSport um, that kind of, like, took the globe, right? Um, I saw all these guys, mostly Korean, but, you know, there's a couple of white guys I could relate to. Uh, and they were <laughs> they were traveling the world, competing in tournaments, being on stage. There was fans cheering. I, I don't know. Like, that's when I really saw it all. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I wish I could do that someday. But I was like, you know, I don't play StarCraft, so I guess I'm never going to be a pro gamer. <laughs> You uh, thought like early on, like StarCraft was it, that was going to be the only option. It was the only option. Like that was, that was the game. And like, you know, Korea took their esports so much more seriously than everyone else. And everyone else was just trying to get in on it. Uh, I mean, it, it was only a matter of time, I guess. But, you know, I played games that were similar to StarCraft and they were competitive and there were leagues and, you know, maybe some rumblings and grumblings of competitive uh, environment. So I guess I, I kind of just lucked out with the game that I played, right? <laughs> so what was what was the first tournament that you competed in? Well, I played a bunch of stuff online, you know, lots of like, you know, little cups and qualifiers and, you know, win a headset, win $200, you know, these like little tiny small things. But like my first big tournament, I traveled to Sweden um, in 2011 for DreamHack winner. We didn't have a sponsor at the time, so I... I took all the money that I had earned from my, you know, miscellaneous random odd jobs that I hated and mowing lawns and bought myself a ticket to Sweden where we got last place and didn't win any money back. Why do you decide to be a professional gamer after that? Yeah, I think I was mostly just really addicted to gaming, right? I just really, really enjoyed the game. I just wanted to play all the time. And the fact that there were competitions and money to be made was a great excuse for me to continue to do that you know, into my, into my college years. Right. You know, there was like, yeah, if I was really good and if I was the best, or if I was, you know, top three or top five, then I could conceivably do this as my job. I joined at a pretty sweet time um, where you could actually see the money coming. A lot of players got into gaming, even just like two or three years before me, that's all like, Oh, there's no money in this. And, and then they left. Slapped. Yeah. And they left. And now they're, and now they, you know, and now they kick themselves because they're like, oh, if I just would have stuck it out or things would have happened a little bit sooner, then who knows where I'd be. 
So aside from like making money from it, what separates professional gamers versus amateurs? Do you guys practice regularly, whereas amateur gamers might just kind of play casually? Do you guys like run strategic plays and kind of like yeah. pour over yes. the game? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, there's there's so much strategy at the top level and there's, you know, it's everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be the best. And that's the tough thing about um, gaming, because like when you compare it to professional sports, you know, you can only practice, you know, you could practice basketball for like, what, six hours a day? Yeah. You could play a video game for 12 hours a day and not be like fatigued, right? Like you might be a little mentally drained. Yeah, I yeah, I think people would probably most people would probably be pretty, pretty mentally famished after like 12 hours. Yeah, but if everybody in your space is training for 12 hours a day and you're only training for 6, you know, are you really can you ever hope to be as good as them or better than them? Can you just walk me through like what does training look like on a professional sure. team? Uh, it's just a lot of playing the game, honestly, just on like a public matchmaking ladder. It's really important to just play all the time and be up to date and be learning new things, you know, maybe, maybe a new item build that you really like, or maybe a new hero matchup that you think is really favorable. Like you just pick up things by experience and the more you play, the more experiences you have. And those experiences are going to make you a better player and your team, a better team as a result. Other than that, like we, we try to emulate match light conditions, you know, we'll do some generally like, or I think we're practicing later today. We're doing a best of three against another professional team where we'll just have, you know, three matches in a row with nothing on the line. Just, you know, both of us are trying to become better teams. So you'll have like pickup matches basically between other teams in addition to just playing hours and hours. Private pickup matches. So that way, like, you know, maybe some of the things that we're practicing don't get revealed to the public where other teams could look at it to prepare for us or... So you build up a little bit of your game cred, and then you join Evil Geniuses in 2014. How old were you when you joined Evil Geniuses? Uh, I was in 2014, so that was, what, four years ago? So I was probably 21 or 22, kind of range. So I was playing this other game, Heroes of New Earth, right? And my team had finally gotten, you know, gotten to be pretty good where, you know, we were making probably... I don't know, maybe 30 grand a year or something like that. Like, you know, livable, you know, when you're you know, at your parents and you don't really have bills, right? It's pretty great. But then the the game started to like lose, uh, like lose in popularity. And then everybody was looking at Dota 2, which was having these like million dollar tournaments. Huh. So they, had, they were having the internationals. And it was, this was like, this is 2013 at this point. And the third international just happened and Alliance won. And Alliance was a team of, you know, Swedish guys who I had actually played up against in this Heroes of New Earth game. They used to play it as well. Hmm. And, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, like these guys won. Like I used to play against them. Sure, they were better than me, but, you know, I was like right there with them kind of a thing. So I was like, man, like maybe I could play this other game where the prize pools are like 20 times bigger than what I'm doing here. (laughs) Yeah, so you're seeing the huge, the way larger amounts of money and are thinking like maybe I should move over to start playing that game. Yeah, but the the problem was it took me so long to get good at the first one. (laughs) And I had just gotten to the point where I was like, oh my God, I'm making, I'm making money. My parents are like off my back about playing this game all the time. Like, this is fantastic. Now I'm going to, am I just going to give all that up and start fresh? You know, luckily the games were really, really similar. So when I quit the previous game, that's when I, I went back to school for a semester. I got a job at the local gas station running the register. Uh, and then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, 
joining EG. I don't know. And then I, you know, I, I quit all that other stuff. And did they like reach out to you or did you apply? Like, how did that work? Oh yeah. So we were playing in a in-house league and EG hadn't been the most successful team. So they were kind of looking for some sort of like roster overhaul with some, with some new blood. And my friend Zai and I, who are you know currently playing together, we just started playing Dota and we were playing in some in-house leagues, which are where we all just like play against each other and like practice against each other. Okay. Yeah. And we, we just got noticed through there and we were friends with a couple of the guys and they were making some new team and they hosted some tryouts. You know, we, we played a couple days of practice, each of us, and everybody came to the decision that, you know, we were all going to try and make this happen and play together for the year. Like you've now, when you were on Evil Geniuses, you, I mean, you basically ascended to become like one of the top players in the world What uh, at Dota. And just so, just so get people have a little bit of context, like if you had to describe Dota to somebody who had never seen it before, how would you describe that game? Ah, tough question there. It's a, <laughs> uh, it's very, it's a FAQ question there for sure. um dota is a five versus five kind of like battle arena where everybody controls um one character or we call them heroes and each hero has different spells that make him you know weak or strong depending on the game and you fight up against another team of five to destroy their base i guess and then (laughs) I yeah I guess Generally, I just say hey if you heard of League of Legends that's what I ask people and they go oh yeah and I'm like yeah it's like that even though Dota even though Dota came before League and League <laughs> is a product of Dota to moving up to being like one of the top players in the world at a game you just kind of started playing like how long did that take and and what did that feel like for you I mean it was really nice like we started <laughs> with a really good team and we you know we came out the we came out the gates winning which was unexpected right but it was kind of like surprising. And we quickly built this culture on this team where anything but first place was actually like really, really unacceptable. And as like intense and serious as that sounds, I think it really did help us become like such an elite team. Like if you're not first, you're last basically. Yeah. And it's like, even though you're leaving the tournament with the, you know, 60 K prize pool or whatever it might be. Yeah. Like for like some second place prize, which is fantastic. Right. Like, you know, oh, we got, we played video games for the weekend and we each won you know, 10 grand or whatever it is. Um, you're just like, man, like, why do we, why are we losing? Like, what's going on? Like, what's the problem? <laughs> so thinking about like the money, how much money do you win in these tournaments? It, it just depends on the tournament right now. There's a, there's kind of like a system. There's like an experimental system set up this year called the Dota pro circuit where there's, I think there's like nine to 11 mine or majors. And then probably like, 15 or 16 miners or something. Okay. And so the miners have a prize pool of somewhere between 300 to 400 grand where the winning team will leave with maybe like 110 to 140. Damn. And that's split between. That's split generally like five to six ways, um, depending if they're cutting in their coach or the organization has an an agreement in their contracts where they'll take a percentage of prize money. Okay. Um, And the, the majors, those are the big ones. There's less of those. Those have a minimum of a million dollar prize pool. And some of them go to like 1.5. I think there might be one that's like 2 million this year. And the winning teams of those generally lead with like, I think it's like first place is 500K. Holy shit. Okay. And then, so that's and then you, like... TI, you know, you know, of TI, right? International. 
Yeah, I've heard I've heard of it, but don't know too much about it. Oh, well, you're in for a treat. Yeah, um, what like yeah, tell me about it. So the International is a crowdfunded prize pool by uh, Valve and all the players that um, play the game. And so originally, you know, Valve throws in a million dollars for the beginning of the tournament. And that's this is where the story begins with the International One um, back in 2011. You know, they hosted this million dollar tournament where everybody was like, is this real? Like what, a million dollars? Like you got to be kidding me. And like people didn't actually know if it was a real thing until they showed up. And then you had your TI1, which was 1 million. You had your TI2, which was 1 million. And then TI3 went up to like, I think first place was like 1.6 million or something. And then maybe like two or 3 million total. And then a TI4, which was my first TI, the prize pool went up to like 10 point, I'm just guessing like 10 to 12 million. Um, oh man. So it, it goes like in a matter of years, like it's yes. 10 so X the, the prize money. I think it was 10 to 12 in 2014. And then 2015, I think it was close to like 17 or 18 million. And then Damn. I think <laughs> this previous year it was like 20 something. And the first place team, which was team liquid, they won. I think they all, I mean, divided five ways mathematically before taxes, they all made $2 million. It's kind of what you play for your entire life. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after a word from ourselves. Okay. Let me tell you about the best turnaround story. It's not Rocky 1. It's not Rocky 2. It's got to be Rocky 3. Rocky's getting cocky. He gets a bit soft. Then next thing you know, Mr. T out of nowhere challenges him and wins. Rocky's broken. He goes back to his roots and he needs to avenge Mickey's death. Comes back, beats Mr. T, takes the title. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about The Grow Show, which is all about turnaround stories of the same epic proportions. Listen to how a once-famous brewery gets back to its roots, or how a grocery store chain lost all of its employees and its customers in one day, plus a lot more. You can find The Grow Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. I don't have time to list all of the places, but wherever you're listening, hey, The Grow Show's on there. All right, let's get back to Peter. The other thing I'm wondering about is like I've noticed and you can see it from looking up these tournaments that a lot of this is played on stage that a lot of this there's like tons of spectators watching like how many people are watching these tournaments There's a lot uh it really just depends on who's playing and you know where you're at um they just hosted a tournament in Jakarta, Indonesia and the stadium or the venue where they were having was, you know, it was, it was filled. You know, there was a couple thousand people there just, you know, going wild cheering for this new video game. They're watching on this big, you know, this big monitor up front with, the, with their favorite players on stage. The biggest tournaments will do, I think, I, I don't know. It's tough to say, you know, some of these streaming numbers are oftentimes exaggerated, but <laughs> probably close to a million viewers, maybe more. Um, but even like the smaller stuff, you know, you'll do, even like these online qualifiers that we're playing later this week, that those tournaments will probably have ten to 20,000 viewers, I would think. That's amazing. And these are viewers from all over the world are tuning in. Yeah, everywhere. You know, you could be, you could live in America and be the biggest fan of Southeast Asian Dota, and you could be up at 2 a.m. watching all their games if you want. <laughs> and so 
after you know after a little while for playing you reach kind of the top of the you know the e-gaming community and then you hang up the controller and you become the ceo of evil geniuses yeah what inspired that change i've always been very interested in just the other like i'm i'm just curious you know i just want to know you know like hey you can pay me this much why can you pay me this much and why can't you pay me more it was there's a big question of understanding player worth back then because you never really knew you never knew what like what your team was getting paid by for the, from their sponsors and the only way you could ever increase your salary was to you know ask the other guy or ask the other team like hey what are you getting paid oh this is what we're getting paid next hmm. year okay next year let's get paid this much and then everybody just needs to like set the precedent right and um yeah, I, I just really wanted to figure that out. And I was just, that curiosity just like led to me becoming so much more involved on the business side of these esports and video games. As I played on EG, EG started to become very successful. We started to win a lot and we became very, very popular. And EG at the time was owned by Amazon and Twitch who bought them. And unfortunately, <laughs> the company at that point was kind of put on hold. But the Dota team was so successful, even though there wasn't being a lot of work put into the brand, it was still kind of holding it up. And what it ended up happening eventually is that EG became a Dota brand. You know, when people thought of EG, it was, oh, that's the, that's the Dota team. And it got to the point where you know, we couldn't really leave. Otherwise, the company would die. So huh. they decided to let me take over. I'm not exactly sure if I was ready to do that at the age of... Uh, 24 or whatever it was but regardless it was an amazing experience and i learned so much about um, business and esports and you know what i like to do what did you think the role was going to be like going into it like what were you excited to learn or do as ceo of evil geniuses Mm, i think the like my dad told me this. He like he's like uh, the job of a CEO is to like not only worry about the business of today, but worry about the business of tomorrow. And that was kind of the big thing that we were discussing over at EG. Is EG used to be this you know incredibly prolific brand, um, and it was probably it was kind of like the Yankees of esports at at its peak. So when we finally took over, the most exciting thing for us was to start growing again. And like, what were your responsibilities as CEO when you were trying to grow EG? It was a lot of talking to investors, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of um, venture capital or angel investor money now in Dota, Um, you know, all your professional sport teams and billionaires saying, Hey, video games, my son, my son likes those. Let's uh, let me, let me invest in those. So it was, you know, it's about finding the, uh, a lot of it was just like finding the right partners and the right kind of people that you want to work with because realistically no esport teams were making enough money to compete up against these, uh, investors right like uh how can you expect to have the best teams and the best players when you know they're getting paid 10 grand a month and your players are only making four grand a month so man i really did not expect that that like so what were you making like pitch decks for angel investors and things like that yeah it wasn't it actually wasn't that difficult um because it's such a hot product yeah Um, i didn't i didn't really have to like pull it all together like that and was that a really big switch in skill sets for you it was it was totally different. It was uh, it was exhausting to be completely honest. <laughs> did you did you like did you enjoy it or was or were you like I just this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't very fun. Well, I, I don't think it wasn't what I 
it wasn't, I didn't think it was going to be something different. I just, um, I understood like the experiences that I was getting, uh, you know, and I did, you know, eventually transition out, but it was mostly because I just didn't, I didn't feel like it was just going in the same direction that I wanted to go in and uh, becoming, being a, like being a player and being on the more like the entertainment, like kind of do whatever you want side of it all. Like that's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically rather than being behind the scenes, networking with investors and things, you'd rather just be playing the game. Yeah. It's a lot easier. There's less <laughs> to think about, you know, it's way, le- way less complicated. You know, you, your alarm gets, it sets a lot later. <laughs> would it's you, funny. would you want to go back? Maybe someday. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I just don't know if I was necessarily ready for, you know, like a nine to five or whatever. It wasn't that it was more of like a 24 seven job, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's more fun to be a player. That's for sure. I think what inspired that decision. It's, it was like, I, I attended a couple of Dota events throughout the year and they were all super tough to just be at because I, you know, I missed playing so much and you see all these, like, I saw all my peers there competing for $20 million. And I was just like, man, like, I could be playing right now. Like I could, like I would watch these teams play and I'm like, I could have beat those guys or I could have, I could have drafted better than that, which everybody says that, but I just like, I genuinely believed it. Um, I became a CEO earlier than I wanted to is basically what it came down to. And out of curiosity, just like, would you ever, would you move off of Dota at a certain point to a different game? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? If it was realistic. And I could become good at it. But the thing is, like, people ask me, oh, how do we appear? Like, how do I become better at Dota? Like, I want to be a professional player. And I was like, when did you start playing? And they're like, oh, like, you know, I started four years ago. And I was like, I started, like, 14 years ago. <laughs> I just have experience, right? And yeah. Like, I've been playing these games my entire life. That's why I'm so – that's why, like, when I look at my minimap for half a second, I know what's happening. <laughs> because, I, because I've looked at a mini – I've been looking at a minimap for, you know, 10 hours a day for eight years or whatever it is. So, like – how are young up and coming teams going to beat you with all of your years of experience? Like, are they just grinding it out more hours than you? Are they just like, how does that part work? Yeah, certainly some of that. Um, and that, that is a thing. There aren't that many, you know, a lot of the pro players have been around for the longest time. You know, we train against each other, you know, unless you have exposure to that, unless you have exposure, right. It's hard to really become as good as them at least in Dota, I would say like the oldest professional players are probably like 30 or 31. Whoa. Right? I'm 26. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, they, they are the ones that really stuck it out. Like the 30 year old guys, like they, they were playing when they were making, they were playing like well into their twenties and they were, when they were making no money. Right. So you can imagine like what their lives were like, or, you know, maybe their parents giving them a lot of shit for you know, <laughs> still, still living at home and still playing the games. And, you know, now they're, now they're millionaires, you know, it's like, uh, they stuck it out but a lot of the other guys they fucking they they missed out so like that brings up a question that i have like what is the age of retirement for a professional gamer i don't think there is one anymore um i think that was like a myth that everybody came up with to explain why there wasn't older players but realistically i think it was once you get you got into your 20s it was like oh man i really do need to get out of my parents house or i really (laughs) do need to i really oh man i actually have to pay rent this month huh that's how this works this is what real life feels like and now that there's money and you can work, you know, into your twenties, whether you're a player or a coach or an analyst, there's opportunity, right? I, uh, I stream pretty regularly on Twitch. Yeah. TV, and I was streaming the other day and somebody asked me in my chat, they said, 
Peter, what's the uh, what's the biggest difference between gaming now and then gaming in like 2015 or maybe even like a little bit earlier? And I was like, I was like, now it's really it is kind of about the money now. It's it's so much less about just like playing and enjoying playing. It's more about the competition and winning rather than just like enjoying the journey, if that makes sense. Is that sad to you? Are you happy? Is that inevitable? Like, what do you feel about that? I think it's more inevitable, but I'm not really sad about it, right? Like, I've been able to continue doing what I love. Maybe it's changed a little bit, right? But obviously, I love playing video games, and I haven't stopped. So if, you know, things got to change a little bit for that to be acceptable, then that works for me. I have a nice lifestyle. (laughs) So where can people watch you play? Provided they want to. Uh, provided they pretty, want to. <laughs> Dota is a pretty difficult game to follow. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, that's like one of the biggest complaints about it. But if you, maybe if you're just interested in seeing what that pro gamer life is like, my, I think my Instagram would probably be the best place to go. Uh, my Twitter might be a little too jar- filled with jargon for somebody who's not in the scene to understand. <laughs> Your but, Twitter is very confusing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot. You know, it's for people in my world. Um, but if, if, if people want to you know, check out my stuff, I would definitely say Instagram at Peter Pandam is my Instagram. I'll post like, you know, lots of stuff for like my friends who also don't understand anything about games <laughs> to slowly transition them into it. Well, I just want to say like, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and I had a bunch of fun. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. Circle of trust time. Every so often, I talk with guests and get the feeling like, shit, Sam, you really fucked up with this whole career thing. And after hearing the type of money Peter makes as a professional gamer, well, I'm getting that curious little gnaw in my stomach again. If my plea for sympathy, or empathy really, is working any, I'd feel a whole lot better about my life decisions if you told a friend of yours about weird work. And if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chorus, the podcast app, Overcast, Stitcher. Seriously, there are so many options out there, but we're on all of them. As always, I'm Sam Balter, and thanks for listening, you Google-headed rain monsters. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.